Thank you for listening to the Bible preaching ministry of Dr. Tim Pollock at the Home Church of Lodi, California. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. Our prayer is that this message from God's Word will renew your heart and mind today. Thank you, Jesus. Man, my heart has been stirred already. Welcome to each of you here. I'm glad to see that you woke up after your turkey coma and uh, all that tryptophan there, you know, you woke up. So thank the Lord. And for those of you joining us online, thank you for coming. I'm being with us here. I know you would be here if you could. I just know you wouldn't just stay home and lay around instead of going to church. You wouldn't do that, would you? And uh, no, I love you. We all love you. And for those of you that are joining us around the world, we uh, get little notes here and there. Thank you. And for those of you around America, we want you to know you are loved right here. Well, thank you for coming. We are talking on the greatest sermon ever. Now, I'm not just bragging about my sermon, I'm talking about our Lord's sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. Today, another chapter in that, our sixth one, you are the salt of the earth. 2,000 years ago, on a Galilean hillside, the man that is called Jesus the Christ, the Messiah, we, whom we know as the Messiah of God, gathered together his disciples. His notoriety was such that in addition to his disciples, that small group of the, the good, the bad, and the ugly perhaps, there was a great group of people. In fact, the Bible calls it a multitude. Jesus then lifted his voice, which suggests there were hundreds, perhaps thousands that were there. What would it have been like to be there on that, uh, as I was reading, perhaps a spring day? The weather much like spring here, beautiful blue skies and some clouds, maybe some little spring beautiful flowers, the little red poppies, the lilies of the valleys as they were called, sprinkling around. The smell of the uh, ocean, or at least the water there, the Sea of Galilee. There they were. Jesus looked at everybody and said, uh, we've got some problems in our country. And they all knew what was going on. There was corruption, disintegration of life at every point. The oppression by the colonizers, the Roman colonizers was stifling. Crime, violence was rampant. The hatred between the classes was demoralizing. The social division was everywhere. Economic disruption was just uh, stealing away their hope for living. And it wasn't getting any better. In fact, frankly, it was decaying quickly. What are we going to do? Jesus starts off by talking about what happiness is. And then he switches. And now we have a distinct switch in this message. We're in Matthew chapter 5, if you want to get a head start there. And there in Matthew chapter 5, he begins by talking about attitudes that we need to have, eight of them, in fact. So upside down to the normal thinking that people were just amazed by him. And then he switches gears. He looks at them and he begins to give them some powerful illustrations, some metaphors to capture their attention. Jesus was an amazing communicator. He really didn't explain a lot. He just gave it to them. What he did explain, though, was pretty clear, I think, of what he was talking about. He said, our job is this. Our society is on a downward trend. We are on a sinking ship. 
And if we don't do something about it, we're gone. And perhaps their minds were thinking, what are we going to do? He said, well, before you just lose all hope, let me just tell you, you're the hope. You, each one of you, is what it's going to take to turn the tide. So what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask each of you to be the salt in our community. Then he uses an illustration of light. And then he begins to talk about other principles. And throughout this amazing message, which we're going to kind of take our time to go through, he gives things that are so important, incredibly, 2,000 years have passed since that time, approximately. And yet, after 20 centuries, still, mankind, after all the teaching, think of all the teaching that's gone on. Think of all the, the, the moralizing and postulating and conceptualizing and philosophizing that has gone on. Nobody has ever gotten any better than the truth that we have here today about how to stop the decay in a society, how to change things. You've got to be salt. Each one of you, where you are, has to be the salt in that home, in that community, in that government, in that society. You must be the agents of divine transformation. It's not the government. It's not the educational institutions. It's not the community organizations. Ye is the King James phrase, but it means you, and it could mean plural. You, all of you, are the salt of the earth. We have a job to do. You are the only salt that's going to preserve this world. In fact, it is so dramatic what he's saying is there is no middle ground. You either are salt or you ain't. <laughs> you is or you ain't. You are either salt or you're not. You're either a John or a Judas. There is no middle ground. G. Campbell Morgan was a well-known, greatly used British preacher. He was privileged to have a good-sized family, and four of his sons became pastors. He influenced millions with his preaching and subsequent teaching and writing. One day, when his youngest son, Howard, finished preaching, a reporter asked him. They said, since you have five pastors in your family, who would you say is the greatest of all pastor in all your family? Expecting the son to recognize, likely, his father, Howard surprised the reporter by saying, the greatest preacher in my family? He said, no doubt about it. The greatest preacher in my family is my mother. <laughs> the truth of the matter is, folks, the, the influence of one salty believer, despite what title they may have, is so powerful. A salty mom, a salty dad, a salty person in the community has such incredible power. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. You, me, you, all of us are the salt of the earth. Let's bow for prayer. Father, thank you today for this truth. Lord, I'm excited about wading into it and thinking about it. Holy Spirit, all of my thoughts, all of my plans, things that say... Lord, I pray that every gesture, every tone, everything would just add to the message. But the Lord, all of that means nothing if you don't touch it with your power. Let none of my words fall to the ground. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would touch not only the words and the mouth, but the ears and the heart of every person. Not only in this room, but those that are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, we're not told exactly, although we get the sense of what Jesus is saying, by the negative sense of what he finishes the verse with. But he actually doesn't clarify what he means when he says, you are salt. He just kind of moves on. However, obviously, it was an illustration, a metaphor so 
powerful, so uh, something that they all thought of, that they got it and they began to connect the dots in their mind. Why did Jesus tell them, you are the salt of the earth? Well, salt was valuable. Let's uh, skip down here and let's read. Uh, well, I'll just uh, get to my message here. <laughs> all right. First of all, salt was valuable. Salt was valuable. Even today, salt is very useful. It is used in food. Just about every processed food that we have has salt in it. And in my house, at least for me, if it doesn't have salt in it, I just pretty much salt it. And uh, in fact, I pretty much salt it before I eat it. That's kind of not a good thing. But I enjoy salt. It is valuable for food. It is. It is for household products. It's used in cleaners. It's used, of course, on roads. Uh, to take the ice and the snow away. It's used in the medical world. Many medicines actually have salt in them. But in the early world, it was extremely useful. It was used for preserving things. It was used for health services. It was used as a sanitary thing. In fact, in the first century, the Greek mythology considered it actually divine. In the Greek language, the word for salt is theon, which we get our word theo, or God. The Romans also felt like salt was so valuable, nothing to them was more precious than two things, the salt and the sun. Because especially in a day without refrigeration, you needed that salt. It was used mainly as a preservative. In fact, salt was so uh, valuable that they purchased it and they would gathered up in big uh, uh, fields of it, and they would harvest it, and then soldiers were even paid with salt. In fact, you may not know this, but the word salary comes from the word salt. And so next time you get your salary, say, is this all the salt I get? But anyway, um, in fact, the statement, he is not worth his salt, was uh, the idea of a Roman soldier who wasn't really uh, pulling his weight, wasn't doing what he was supposed to do, and he wasn't worth his salt. Slaves were traded by exchanging salt, and so salt was valuable. Salt was not only valuable, it was ceremonial. In the ancient world, ingesting salt was a way to make the agreement legally binding. In the Arab cultures, even today, if two men make an agreement, then they partake salt together. They are sworn to protect one another. In some cultures, once a promise is made, they throw salt over their shoulders as a sort of a, a promise of something valuable, something that would preserve or endure. In fact, it's actually even used in scripture. You may have read in Numbers chapter 18, verse 19, that God, speaking to the Levitical priesthood, he was telling them that, yes, uh, you don't get any land like the other tribes, but I will take care of you. And I promise to take care of you. It's gonna be something called giving the tenth, the tithe, and then the offering. And he said, we'll make sure that you're taken care of. And as a testimony of that, here's what he says. It is a covenant of salt forever before the Lord unto thee and to thy seed before thee. And so God made a covenant of salt with his Levitical priests, a provision in a salt covenant. I've even done a few weddings where they had a salt covenant. They would take salt and they would mingle it and they would kind of, the idea of becoming one, but also a sense of a covenant, an unbreakable covenant. Now let's look at our Lord's very important instructions this morning. First of all, the dynamic of distinctive salt. The dynamic of being salt that makes a difference. It provides us here with five powerful truths. First of all, salt sanitizes. It purifies. Look what it says in verse 13. Ye are the salt of the earth. Now what color is salt? 
Salt is always white. Now I know there's pink salt. Uh, I know that because we have some in our house. My wife tells me it's better. I have no idea why it is, but I have pink salt. Salt is pure. Now sometimes uh, people would stockpile that salt and when that salt would be sitting there, it would very much glisten against the brown dirt or against the cloth that it would be on. It was a sparkling vibrance to them. So immediately when Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, one of the first things they were thinking about is that salt is white, it's pure, it's very glistening and shiny. Jesus was saying, folks, if you want to make a difference, you need to be shiny, white, uh, clean, and pure for the Lord. You are the salt. If you want to make a difference in this world, you cannot do it by being polluted. This is a dirty world, and if we're going to make a difference, we can't be as polluted as the world. And be an example of purity. Hold up biblical standards in your thoughts, in your speech, and in your actions. A story that I read from a generation ago, the 1940s, Dr. Will H. Houghton. He was a very faithful, well-known at that point, Bible preacher. He served faithfully at Moody Bible Institute, then became the pastor of the thriving Baptist Tabernacle in Atlanta. It is said that a powerful critic was intent on destroying his ministry. And so he hired a private investigator to follow Dr. Houghton around in his desire to maybe catch him in some kind of misdeed, misconduct. After a few weeks, watching day and night, the detective reported back to this bitter man who hired him. He said, this pastor's life is above reproach. It matches everything that he says. In fact, it's recorded that the investigator not only reported back, but ended up becoming a Christian after just watching the life of that faithful pastor. You are the salt of the earth. You are to be a salty believer. You may remember the great story in 2 Kings, the great Old Testament prophet Elisha, 2 Kings chapter two. Elisha came to some water that was all polluted and so he took this cruise, this big uh, container of salt. And look what it says he did. Second Kings chapter 2, verse 20, he said, Bring me a new cruise, and put salt therein. And he brought it to him, and he went forth unto the springs of the waters, and he cast the salt in there, and said, Thus saith the Lord, I have healed these waters. They shall not be from thence any more death or barren land. He poured the salt into the water and it healed it. In scripture, bodies of water are oftentimes symbols of the masses of humanity. You may remember when Jesus, in the gospels, one of the things that he did, he went out onto the bodies of water and he called his disciples to be fishers of men. These fish are taken out of the water. In Revelation chapter 13, we are told that the antichrist, the beast, comes out of the sea. Bodies of water are often looked at as the masses of humanity. Salt, you, a little bit of salt goes a long way at cleansing and purifying society. Just throw it into the sea and let it do its thing. Salt has amazing healing properties. In ancient lands, they would oftentimes do a saline bath to a little baby after they were born hold down infection. It is powerful in its ability to hold back infection. It is pure. It is cleansing. It is sanitizing. I love the story of that stressed out woman. You might identify with this story. She lost her saltiness briefly. She was tailgating a cautious driver on a busy boulevard when all of a sudden that driver just put on their brakes at a yellow light. The woman just hits her horn, just cussing, screaming, gesturing angrily, just sat there fuming and wasn't able to get through that light. All of a sudden she heard a tap on her window. She looked up into the face of a police officer who ordered her to exit her car with her hands up. This 
indignant woman then was taken to the police station and they put her in a holding cell. An hour later, the officer returned and said, I'm sorry, ma'am, I guess there's been a misunderstanding. When I pulled up behind you, I noticed your what would Jesus do license plate holder. And then I saw your bumper sticker that said, follow me to Sunday school. I just assumed that the car must be stolen. <laughs> yep. Jesus reminds us that Satan doesn't care if we call ourselves a Christian as long as we don't act like a Christian. God wants us to be pure. Salt is pure. Not only salt is sanitizer, but second of all, salt seasons very clearly. We know Jesus was at least saying that, that it's seasons. Now, folks, this world is a tasteless world. It is a dull, lifeless, unsavory place. Bible-believing people place joy and season, and they bring just so much flavor into this world. What an unpleasant world this place would be without Christians. Now, folks, you take, for example, this wonderful theatrical production we're going to be doing here in just about a, two weeks. I mean, folks, it is absolutely captivating. I had a chance to kind of listen in to, and get a little preview of it. It is incredible, delightful, fun, pageantry. People are going to laugh. They're going to weep. It is going to just bring the message of Christ and Christmas just to life. Now, folks, the world has nothing like that. Nothing. I ask you the question this morning. Do you think the local bars around here are going to be putting on a pageant free for people to come to? A big, beautiful, state-of-the-art facility, clean and coffee and smell good. And, and I mean, you think they're going to do that for this community? Absolutely not. Do you think the state school system is going to do that for people? No. Do you think the media is going to stop pushing their socialist agenda long enough to actually give something positive to our community? Absolutely not, because they are committed to destroying, certainly not blessing. But a church like this, a salty church that is saying, we want to give something to this community. And I mean, it's crazy to get all the things you got to do and all the money you have to spend just to get people out of their house for a few minutes, but we do it because we're trying to be what, do what Jesus said and be salt. I mean, we send out things. We give out tickets, and I hope you'll just use those. They are amazing. Get people here. Folks, God wants us to be salt. Season this world. Make their Christmas season so much more flavorful by getting out there and just inviting them and, and uh, tell them you'll get them a Starbucks or whatever to get them in there. I don't know. Tell them you get them on the, in our cafe. But in that intriguing passage in 1 Corinthians 7, I want you to turn there. Powerful passage. Paul deals with the subject of sanctification, but in a whole different way than you might imagine. Now, we know what sanctification is. It is the sanctifying. It is the setting apart of a person. Once you become born again, then you, be, you become a saint. But then that's just in theory, or I guess it's in fact, but it's in name only. But we want to be a saint by our lifestyle. That's called the sanctification process. It is often slow. It is week by week, month by month. But here in this verse, look what God says. He said you can actually sanctify others. What? Well, that's the power of salt. Look at 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 14. The unbelieving husband is saltified, oh, sanctified by the wife. And the unbelieving wife is saltified by the husband. Sanctified is the actual word there. What God is saying is, is that an, a real salty wife, a salty husband, can be so used of the Lord to just draw that person to God. It just, it just uh, the, their lifestyle, their actions, their tone of their words, the things they do just, just helps them. If there's a chance they're going to get saved, that's their best chance by being around a salty person. When we lived in Southern California many years ago in Pomona, 
There were some pretty rough areas down there, and it was not uncommon at night, way back then, to hear a helicopter coming across where we lived. And every once in a while, all of a sudden, our neighborhood would just And I was like, what in the world? Looked out the window, and there was one of those helicopters just had a spotlight down on the neighborhood. It was pointing out that person, whatever their dastardly deeds they were doing, but the spotlight was on them. In my mind, that's exactly what happens with a salty Christian. A salty Christian seasons, flavors life so much that it puts the spotlight of God on that person. It sanctifies them. It zeroes in on them. Maybe I might say it puts a bullseye on their back. And God just goes after them and works on them. Our 28th president, the scholarly President Woodrow Wilson, once told about meeting a salty Christian who transformed him. Here's his own words. He said, I was sitting in a barber chair when became aware that a personality had entered the shop. He was just to have his hair cut. He sat in the chair next to me, but every word the man uttered was engaging. Showed a personal interest in those that were serving him. He mentioned God. He mentioned about hope for the future. After he left, he said, I noticed the singular effect it had on the entire barbershop. President Woodrow Wilson said in that barbershop, there was a man that just came in that just, it, uh, it flavored the whole place. He said, after he left, I found out that that man was none other than Dwight Moody the greatest evangelist of the 1800s, the Billy Graham of his day, this man who would preach to thousands had just come in there, not preaching at the barbershop, just walking in and flavored the entire place. Salty believers elevate the environment. They make the world palatable. Oliver Wendell Holmes, one of the most uh, quoted of all Supreme Court justices that we've ever had, He once said this, he said, I might have entered the ministry if certain clergymen I knew had not looked and acted so much like undertakers. (laughs) Folks, we don't have to act or look like undertakers to be a good person. We can be conservative and fundamental without acting like we're ready for the hearse. Folks, some believers are so grumpy. They remind me of Fred I read about this week. Fred decided to skip church. And so he got home from his Sunday round of golf later than he would have normally, very tired and grouchy. His wife said, bad day at the course, honey? I'll say, he said, everything was going fine. And then Harry had a heart attack and died on the 10th tee. Oh, that's awful, honey. You're not kidding. For the whole back nine, it was hit the ball, drag Harry, hit the ball, drag Harry. (laughs) Folks, too many Christians are like Fred. They're dragging Harry everywhere instead of being happy. Folks, God wants us to be a person that has joy in life, not dragging our problems around. It sanitizes. It's a powerful whiteness. It is seasons. There's a spiciness. And number three, it stings. The truth of the matter is salt stings. My eyes get real tired. And the optician said, you got tired eyes. And I could have told her that, but they get real grainy feeling. And uh, I found that eye drops help a little bit. Well, the best eye drops I've noticed when you first put them in sting a bit. Then of all things, I was reading and they have sodium or a form of sodium chloride in it. They have salt in those stinking things. But you know what? After that initial sting, oh, they feel so good. Uh, From what I read, it says that that salt is used to reduce the swelling of the cornea, which is the front surface of the eye. You see, salt has a medicinal purpose to it, but it often stings. It has a sharpness, especially when placed into a wound. God said, you and I are the stinging medicine of the world. 
They desperately need it, but it's going to sting when you are by them. Notice the Lord didn't say you are the sugar of the world. (laughs) He said you are the salt of the world. Now, it doesn't take a rocket science, folks, to realize that the problem, and there's a problem, serious problem in our world today. It is broken. It is infected. It is wounded. It is sick. And this world needs medicine. It needs Dr. Jesus. And some of his procedures might be a little bit invasive, and it's going to sting. But the modern church today doesn't want to be salt anymore. They want to be sugar. They want to be honey. I'm the honey. I'm the sugar of the world. Well, God has called us to be the salt of the world. One man, the one New Testament man who probably was responsible for more people being in the kingdom of God than any other was the Apostle Paul. You would say probably he had this personality that was so winsome and so everybody just wanted to be around him and he just made everybody feel good. Well, the Apostle Paul had, I'm sure, a great personality like that. He was flavorful, but he also stung a lot. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians 2 and verse 15. He said, you know, what I've discovered is you cannot give the gospel message without stinging. It's impossible. Now, some people would like to be able to share Christ with others without stinging them. It's impossible. At some point, you've got to share with them the fact that they are lost sinners, they're on their way to hell, and they are going to die without Jesus if they don't do something about this. Look what it says. 2 Corinthians 2, we are unto God a sweet savor. Yes, we're a sweet savor for those that are Christians and for those that receive the truth. In them that are saved, but then in them that perish... Verse 16, to the one we are the savor of death unto death, and to the other of life. Folks, God said, the very same gospel that so blesses some that receive it, it is sharp and it stings to others who don't receive it. Now, many Christians don't see this. They feel like we should never have anybody upset with us. We should never be too open about the Bible. We should never give truths that are too hard. Well-known pollster George Barna said it's really tragic what's happened to evangelical Christianity. And that's the best of the best, I would say. Evangelical Christians, four of 10, almost 50% of evangelical Christians do not believe there is such a thing as an absolute truth. Another way of saying they don't believe in the infallibility and the inerrancy of Scripture. Of those that do believe it, a small fraction actually practice it. If churches don't start standing up for biblical values and for truth, who will? Folks, they're not going to get it in the schools. They're not going to get it in the government. They're not going to get it anywhere in business. We are the final ones to hold truth. And if we're so scared of stinging people with truth that we never give it out, how will they know? One of the widespread arguments against Christianity is that we're too judgmental or that we impose our views on others. If you speak out against behaviors and lifestyles that God judges as sin, it's only a matter of time before you're going to be called intolerant. And that's because today there are no moral absolutes. They believe that everybody should decide for themselves which is right and wrong. They say we should tolerate every view, even opposing views. But let me just tell you, first of all, they don't mean the word tolerate. They really mean celebrate. And today in this world, there is so much celebration of sinful lifestyles going on. And for that, we remind ourselves we must be salty. And if you're going to be salty, you're going to be called a religious fanatic. But let me just remind you that you'd say, well, I don't believe in being judgmental. I don't either. But God has called us to be discerning. And there's a big difference between being discerning and being judgmental in the sense of negative. The other thing is this. Really, Christians quoting scripture aren't really the judges. Truth is the judge. I'm just relaying what scripture actually says. It 
is independent of what we think. And that's what the prophet thundered in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. He said, woe unto them. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil and put darkness for light and light for darkness. How I thank God for this church where wrong is still wrong and where right is still right, where overwhelmingly we have a church committed to doing the right thing. And let me just tell you, thank God for you because this region needs a church like this that gives the truth. And so a church that sanitizes and seasons and it sometimes stings because the truth does sting, but it is a healing stinging. And then number four, it stimulates. And perhaps this is salt's primary uh, use outside of also preserving. It stimulates, it creates thirst. And the reason we need our thirst stimulated is in order that we would drink and then we'll stay alive. You've often heard that you can lead a horse to water but not make him drink, but you add a little salt to his hay and it'll encourage him to drink. Are we then making people thirsty for the gospel of God? If they don't get enough water, if they don't get enough of the word, if they don't stay hydrated, they're going to die. When Jesus was looking at these people saying, you are the salt, they knew. Travelers would oftentimes take a salt bag so that they could eat. There was a much arid and desert reason, region, often the places they went. And so they realized that if we're going to to stop dehydration and replace the fluids in us, we need to have this salt. The Holy Spirit explained this very concept through Paul's exposition to the Romans. That amazing book written by the Holy Spirit, given through Paul. God, he said, look at Romans chapter 11. God saved the Gentiles for many reasons. Because he loved them. He saved them because they were lost and needed saving. But here in this verse, he said, one of the reasons why I just, just really worked and opened up the door for the Gentiles was to make the Jews jealous. Look what it says. That through their fall, salvation is come to the Gentiles to provoke them to jealousy. What? Now, I've heard of mass evangelism. I've heard and even taught personal evangelism. We've theorized about lifestyle evangelism, but jealousy evangelism? <laughs> wow, what a truth. God said, I have saved the Gentiles to make the Jews thirsty for that same thing. I have made them the salt of the Jews. Folks, God's saving of the Gentile churches and God's saving of them is a great reminder that we are to make others thirsty. Thirsty for the marriages of a Christian home. Thirsty for the families of a, uh, of a Christian home. God give us salty families and salty marriages and salty lifestyles that make others desire God. The dynamic of distinctive salt, it sanitizes, it seasons, it stings, it stimulates, and finally it sustains. It's a powerful preservative. Ancient food industries in the Mediterranean were without much refrigeration. They had some. But if you didn't salt, especially the meat, within a few hours, it would be stinking, rotting flesh. And that's exactly what Paul, the great veteran missionary, told young Timothy, preacher, he said in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 13, he said, the course of this world is that evil gets worse and worse. Evil doesn't get better. It gets worse and worse. You take, for example, today, folks, the amazing biblical institution of marriage. Perhaps the greatest single civilizer in civilization. By the way, civilization is supposed to be that. People are civil. They've been made civil by good uh, laws and by the word of God. But I don't know of anything that civilizes people any better than a good marriage. And yet, here's what are headlines, and I just typed in Google and headlines about marriage. And here are just a few quick ones that I came up with. Millennials refusing to marry, one of the headlines. The retreat from marriage in middle America. Another one, married people will soon be in the minority. 
Now those headlines got to be alarming to any Bible-believing person. And yet, left-leaning educators, here's what they say, and I quote, marriage is fading out as a human institution because humanity is evolving to a higher level. <laughs> really? So we don't need marriage anymore because we're evolving. Folks, anybody in the world today that says we are evolving upwards is blind, has a bat. Now, folks, I'm not trying to be a pessimist here. I'm a realist, a biblicist. Folks, the fact of the matter is the world can't get better because the world isn't good to start with. And it only gets worse. Now, you say, well, we have so much more information. Yes, information, yes. More science, more technology, more medical procedures, and some of them actually can help. And I will tell you, if you think information is exploding, the meta is coming and it's going to go exponential. But folks, all the information in the world never preserved a society. Society must be civilized. And to be civilized, it takes the word of God. Is there hope? Yes, God is the hope. Michael Flynn said it recently in the last couple of weeks. He said, our nation needs to be one nation under God and one faith. Folks, he wasn't saying one denomination. He was saying one Savior. Our world needs to have one Savior. Evangelicalism, which is the true gospel, is the world's only preservations. You'd say, well, I don't know that I believe that. Well, then... You just need to read what the Bible says, what happens when the church, meaning the gospel believing, meaning evangelicals, that's what that means, evangel means the gospel. When evangelicals, when the gospel church is taken out, you know what happens? Well, look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. That's called the rapture. And look what happens. The mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now let it, that's the Holy Spirit, who restrains when he will let until he be taken out of the way when the Holy Spirit's ministry is changed. God, the Holy Spirit's ministry is changed and the, whole, and the church is taken out. Verse 8, then shall the wicked be revealed. All you have to do is read Matthew chapter 24 and you know what happens during the tribulation period was when the church is taken out at the beginning of the tribulation called the rapture. Folks, I'm telling you what, it is all hell is literally going to break loose. People say today that, oh, we're afraid for democracy. Well, if you are afraid for democracy, you better pray that the church stays strong. Because the church is there to keep, is a, is a restrainer, is a helper for democracy, true democracy. The world doesn't really realize how beautiful it is to have the church here because God is using his truth through God's people as salty Christians to be restrainers in the grove. Now, just a little look at that verse again. Let's go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. Ye are the salt of the earth. Now, God doesn't use the word uh, uh, world because the word there for earth is the idea of the people. World can have a philosophical connotation. It can be an attitude. It can be a philosophy. It can be a lifestyle. But earth, we're talking about the people. We are the salt of the people. I hear people say, oh, California is so bad. We need to move. Well, now... Wait a second. I thought the church was supposed to be the salt of the California, of the earth. The salt of the earth, not the salt of the salt. Well, I'm going to move where there's a lot of Christians. Well, that, God has called us to be sheep among wolves. He didn't call us to be just sheep among sheep. We're not supposed to cloister ourselves on the South Pole and never contact any unbeliever. God has called us out of the salt shaker into the world, grinding us into the, the masses, the meat of this world to preserve it. God has called us to be in the earth. The dynamic of distinctive salt and quickly the damage of degraded salt. Most of this verse is actually negative. Jesus gives us the thought, you're the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. 
The story goes, a little boy asked his mother, Mom, would you give me a dollar to be a good boy? She said, Son, why don't you be good for nothing like your father? (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, too many Christians are just that. They are good for nothing in the sense that Jesus said, you're not salt anymore. You've lost your saltiness. The first damage is it is unsavory. If the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? How will people get the taste and smell and vision of real godliness without salt? In the book of Job, chapter 6, it talks about salting your eggs. And Who would want to eat uh, eggs uh, without salt? And you probably had salt on your eggs this morning, or maybe you... The type of person puts it in your oatmeal. But the folks is, folks, if we don't have salt, things don't taste any good. Christians give zest of God to this world. And the truth of the matter is most people leave such bland lives. Remember Jesus saying that the, the blind are leading the blind? Well, actually, I think we could say the bland are leading the bland. <laughs> And people are so bored, they, they just kind of get up, and Sunday morning, watch the TV, watch the football, drink my beer, watch, eat my pretzels, watch another football game, go to bed, go to work. I mean, man, such a boring lives. Boring. We had an evangelist come to our church many years ago. His name was Tom Williams. Wonderful, colorful, delightful man. He had a lovely wife. And they went to Israel, and unfortunately, she contracted spinal meningitis. She recovered, but it affected her uh, mental condition, and uh, she uh, was a little uh, unvarnished uh, in some of her talking after that. And uh, I remember we were in the car, and Tom Williams was there, his wife, and Tom was uh, talking about something kind of going on and on, and apparently his wife just heard too much, and she just said, boring, boring, boring. And, uh, and I, I've never forgot that. I just laughed so many times. Boring, boring, boring. Folks. God has not called us to be a good Christian and say, be boring. Folks, some of you folks, I mean, and I guess I'm included in that. Some folks are about as energetic as a slug. You're about as likable as a porcupine. Folks, you don't have to be uh, angry and bitter and mean to be a good Christian. I mean, we can be around people that have disgusting lifestyles and still be kind and loving to them. God said, you're a vessel in the water. Just don't let the water in the ship, that's all. You're out there and it's a, it's a disgusting world. Well, uh, I'm gonna have to skip through a verse here. Not only are we unsavory, it can be unprofitable. It is thenceforth good for nothing. Good for nothing. Most of the salt in Jesus's day came from the Dead Sea. A very, very hot place. I mean, Israel was hot. The Dead Sea is like the Death Valley. It is super hot. As such, uh, the water often evaporates quickly. And if, uh, if it's not harvested correctly, the salt that's left behind gets mixed with minerals and other chemicals, and it becomes frankly unusable. So much of the world in it, so much of the dirt in it. Are you listening? So much dirt in the life of a salt that it becomes unusable, good for nothing. Jesus was saying, folks, spend your time in the word. Spend your time in church. Spend your time around God's people. Don't let all the junk and the chemicals of this world spoil your ability to preserve food and to be used of God. It is unprofitable. And then finally, it is unrecoverable. When salt did become polluted, and it frankly was just next to impossible, you pretty much couldn't separate the salt from the bad chemicals. Really, the only thing that salt was good for was then to be trodden under the foot of men. They actually would put it on roads. In fact, there are many salt roads, even to this day, there are Remains of it in Italy and some places in the Middle East. Salt. When a little water hits that salted road, it almost becomes like cement. Hard as cement. And some Christians I know have heads about as hard as cement. Folks, God wants us to be different. He said, if you've lost your difference, what good of you? If we drink like the world, if we 
walk out on marriages like the world, if we embrace immoral lifestyles and call them alternative, folks, we have lost our ability to make a difference. We live in a crazy day, and our world is spinning out of control. We need salty people to make a difference and to stand up and to say something. And I'm telling you, it is bad everywhere. It is atrocious in our public school systems. Our public school systems are broken, and we need somebody to get in there and uh, do something. I know for good Christians, you're pretty much hard to put your child in there, but um, did you know that in most public schools, the things they are putting in there, especially some of the lower grades, are not some of the material that they are offering these children? I'm not, it is almost amounting to pedophilia, almost to pornography, maybe even more so. In most states of our union, a, a young girl in her teens, they can get an abortion without their parents' permission, but they cannot go on a field trip without their parents' permission. They have to have signed slip by their parents to go down to the zoo. But abortion, that's perfectly fine. Folks, we need salty Christians and salty families and salty churches. We need those that will do something and stand up. Folks, it's a tragic thing for drive around our communities and see churches empty. Of course, the Walmarts aren't empty. That's perfectly fine. I mean, go to Walmart, but going to church, that's being reckless. We don't want to do that. You know, we're, we're more safe than that, folks. It's crazy. The, law, the salt is losing its savor. We need to get out into this world, be the salt, and by God's grace, we'll make a difference. Sodium chloride is what salt is. Sodium is a wonderful chemical used for so many things. But in order to be good, usable salt, it has to be combined with chloride. Chloride is chlorine. Chlorine is a really a, almost, it's a chemical that's very dangerous. But combined, it is so useful. Folks, we need the love of Christ and the chlorine of the gospel and the word of God combined together to make a difference, to be salty for God. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed here this morning. We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.